0: What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your boy, Eben Britton, ex nfler turned yogi. Hope this finds you standing in your truth, living in your highest greatness for the greatest good of the universe. The world needs you. No doubt about it. Uh, so today's episode of the Eben Flow, I am titling Waking Up. This is a solo role. Uh, I'm just going to give you what I got. My experience coming into myself, coming into my consciousness, um, transcending identities, shedding old skins, healing trauma, coming to terms with myself. So I think you guys will enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Wake. The Magical Mushroom Company. If you're looking for some fantastic fungi supplements, look no further than Wake. Head over to Wake.net for lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, turkey tail, the comprehensive health blend. Fantastic for cognitive function, immune support, breath support, oxygen uptake. All around, these are ancient adaptogenic Uh, substances, plants, the fungi, our bodies are mostly fungus. We're actually closer related to fungi in our DNA than we are to really anything else in the natural world. Fascinating stuff. That's probably why things like psilocybin have such a profound impact on how we view ourselves and the world around us and make us feel so connected so it's great stuff. You can head to wake.net, use code Ebb and flow to get 10% off and free shipping on your next order. Highly recommend it. Thank you guys so much for your support. Your listenership um, means the world to me. You can head to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, rate it, review it. That is huge for me in this podcast. You can also head over to Patreon patreon.com forward slash EDS Britain to get all the bonus content. Also, this podcast is available now on Patreon when you pay five bucks a month. It's about the price of one cup of coffee here in LA for five bucks a month. You get bonus episode every week. I'm putting all the guided meditations on there. I'm doing videos motivation, mindset, meditation, movement, all the good stuff. And that's about it, folks. Thank you guys so much. Lots of love to y'all. I'll see y'all on the flip side. Have an excellent weekend. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source, the key of imagination, your admission, access to the enlightened dimension. Hey everybody, how are you? This is a solo role of The Ebb and Flow. It's been a while since I've done one of these. If you're on Patreon, you've heard the last episode was my top five books. I highly encourage you to join me on Patreon as I feel myself shifting more and more of my content to that platform. Still building my audience. Still doing everything I can to spread this message in the most amplified way possible. So, I offer free content as well through Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, what have you. All the social media stuff. But Patreon is really... I'm looking to build a tribe of spiritual warriors of people who are interested in transforming the frequency of this planet raising the octave shifting out of the old paradigm and into the new I'm not talking about some new world order bullshit I'm talking about we the people taking our power back so it's time I had a fantastic conversation yesterday with a guy named Tom Cronin. That episode of the podcast will come out sometime in May along with his brilliant film titled The Portal. Give a little shout out for it. And it's really all about mindfulness, meditation, how this is the pathway or the portal into us transcending this place that we're in right now. Because there's just so much fear. There's so much fear, judgment, denial, distrust. And we've created all of that. We've done that to ourselves. Um, as one of my great teachers, my great life teachers, Ramdas, said in one of his beautiful talks, this would all be much simpler if there was a message. But the truth of the matter is, we are the message. We are the message. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place? The title of this episode is Waking Up. What does that mean? I get really turned off by the term woke. I think that's a term that's used by people who have no idea of what they're even talking about, to be honest. The woke crowd. Beware of the woke crowd. Anyone who claims that they're woke most likely isn't. That's the paradox. So what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't look at waking up as having anything to do with anything external. It's not about any realization about the government. It's not about any realization about what diet works best. It's not any realization about politics, people. It's, it's all about waking up. You're waking up to yourself waking up to who you are. You're waking up to the reality of your life. You're waking up to the reality of your humanity. In fact, most of the process of waking up has to do with the shedding of all the shit that you've accumulated over the years through the culture, through your parents, through the people, through the education. And so waking up is really lightening the load, enlightenment is another way to put it, and in the West, it occurs to me that there is a process by which we have to wake up. Because in the West, we have accumulated so many layers, so many skins, so many veils through the distractions of the material realm and the consumption and the externalizing of success and the need to be constantly proving your status through the things that you have, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the clothes that you wear, the labels that you brandish yourself with. And all of that, the amount of followers you have in your social media channels, all of that shit, none of that's real. And when I say none of that is real, what I'm saying is that none of that serves you in a way that leaves you feeling content or fulfilled. And it may for a moment. You get a new job, you have a really successful thing happen to you, you make a big chunk of money, you go and buy yourself the car that you've always been dreaming of. And of course, you feel this, this euphoria, this I've reached the top of the mountain. When I played pro football, I was, I was about eight years old when this dream, this dream seed was planted in my mind's eye. I was about eight years old. It was a hot summer day in Southbury, Connecticut at my grandparents' house. My childhood was a very dark time. My parents got divorced when I was seven. There was a lot of darkness, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of physical abuse, a lot of emotional trauma. And so this one hot summer day, I'm watching the news. I can't, it must have been the morning. It must have been the morning news. And the sports segment came on and they showed the Jets and the Giants in training camp. And I thought to myself, that's it. I want to be one of those warriors when I grow up. I want to wear the armor. I want to wear the, that shield. I want to be one of those gladiators on the gridiron. And even as a little boy, I saw that that was my way to transcend this place that I was in, this darkness that I was in. My mom would never let me play. Finally, my freshman year of high school, with the help of my dad, I convinced my mom, let me play football. And from that moment, the moment I touched down, touched my feet down on the football field at the age of 13... It was a rocket ship to the moon of achieving this dream of playing in the NFL. Everything I did, how I carried myself, how I lived, how I ate, how I trained, how I thought. Literally, who I was, was all in alignment to achieve this dream, to climb to the top of this football mountain. I was blessed with the physical body to do it, to get it done. And so I put the work in. I was surrounded by good people. I remember even my freshman year football coaches said to me, Eb, if you work really hard, if you do everything right, if you get the good grades, you will be playing on Sundays, without a doubt. You'll be able to buy your mom the house. So I did it. I visualized it. I saw it. I felt it. I took my my intention was to play in the NFL and I applied my attention to it over and over again, every single day for ten years. Maybe eight years before I made it to the NFL. I took that seed in my mind's eye. I visualized it. I felt it in every cell of my being. And my subconscious mind laid the blueprint that my body then just acted out and carried out. And one day at a time, I built it. I stacked moment on top of moment until I made it to the NFL. In 2009, I was drafted 39th overall in the second round by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'd achieved this dream. I'd achieved this dream that I'd set out since I was eight years old to achieve. I'd I'd reached the peak of this mountain. And there I was, a 20... I was only 21 years old, achieved this dream. I'm looking around, and I'm going, okay, yeah, hell yeah, now it's time to prove it, right? They cut me a check for $4 million. I'd never had that much money in my life. No one in my family had ever had that much money in their entire life. So what did I do? I went and got myself a BMW. I did the things. I had a great rookie year. After that, my body started to fall apart. My body started to fall apart. And I was realizing moment by moment that my heart wasn't really in it anymore. well that's not exactly true it was probably my fourth year my my last year in Jacksonville where I realized I was completely gutted by the experience because the business of football the rubber had met the road with my body breaking down experiencing injuries and then seeing the business of football and my My soul was crushed. My second year, I herniated a disc in my back, had excruciating sciatic nerve pain down my right leg, which I managed every day. I was in the facility at 5.30 in the morning doing all the things, the hot tub, the cold tub, getting massage, stretching, the core work, all the shit. Day in, day out. Five thirty in the morning in there getting treatment getting worked on getting my body to a place where I could just get on the field and perform and try to play for eight weeks I'm doing that every day finally we get to play we're going to play the Kansas City Chiefs and thank God I dislocate my shoulder we're on a drive. It's the second quarter. I dislocate my shoulder. It's a run play. My legs get caught up in a pile. pile of bodies. I hit the ground. My right elbow on a 90 degree angle. Hit the ground. Land right on my elbow. I come up. I can't move my right arm because it's out of the socket. I pop it back in the socket. We finish the drive. I come out onto the sideline. I'm yelling at my trainer, dude, get me a fucking shoulder, I need a shoulder harness. My trainer, God bless him, Justin, he's looking at me like I've just grown a fucking third eye. I'm like, Justin, I gotta go, man, we got a two minute drill coming up. I need the shoulder harness ASAP. He runs away, runs back with the shoulder harness. It's like a NASCAR pit change. Fucking throws a, throw my shoulder pads off, slap this shoulder harness on. My, by the time my shoulder pads are coming back on, strapping up, we're, my, the offense is heading back out onto the field for a two-minute drill right before the end of the half. I go back out. Two plays in. I'm pass protecting. Mike Vrabel gives me a swipe. My right arm Catches my right arm. It comes out of the socket again. This time I can't get it back in. I run off the field, tapping the top of my helmet. My back up, he runs in. It takes the team doctors about three minutes to get my shoulder back into the socket. They're struggling. They're saying, Eb, can we get you into the locker room to lie you down? I'm like, fuck no, get it in. Finally they get it in and tell me, Eb, you're done for the day. I head into the locker room. Throw on get on take my gear off, throw the sweats on. They put my arm in a sling. Pop some pills, get some Vicodin in me or something. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, eh, I'll be ready for next week. I'll be ready to go next week. No big deal. For Dallas, I'll be ready to rock. Watch the rest of the game, the second half from the sidelines. In a opiate-laced haze with a giant dip of tobacco in my cheek. Thinking to myself, I'll be ready for next week. And so... It wasn't until after the game where the doctor brought me into the training room. He said, Ab, you're done for the season. I can't let you play. And I just burst into tears because there was never, never been a time in my career where I wasn't able to play or fight through the pain. And I was always willing to do that. I was always willing to sacrifice myself. I was literally willing to kill myself for this game, for my brothers, for my coaches, for the fans, for my family. I was literally willing to kill myself. So I was told for the first time, Eb, you're done for the year. So that was a big moment. Because this identity as a warrior was starting to, and it was cracked. There was a crack in it. So, long story short, my football career continues. I work my ass off, get back. That next season was the lockout. The NFL owners locked the players out of the facilities because we couldn't agree on a collective bargaining agreement. And this is different than a strike. The players were not striking asking for more money. The, it was the NFL owners locking out the players. So during this time, I go back to the University of Arizona, finish my degree. I get treatment for my shoulder. My shoulder's doing great, but my back is still fucked up. So I come back and we report to training camp directly after the lockout. Finally, of course, they weren't going to let the season go by, uh, you know, without, without playing and making all that television money and all of that, that ticket sale money. So we got a deal agreed upon, which was, as always, a shit deal for the players. We report directly back to training camp. I come back to training camp. My shoulder's great. My back is still fucked up. I can barely feel my right foot on the ground. So pretty soon into training camp, I go and have back surgery. It's amazing. They clean it up. I have a discectomy. They cleaned the disc off the nerve, the, the, the spine surgeon. He said to me, man, I couldn't even tell where the disc began and the nerve ended. It was so mashed together. I can't believe you were, you were living through that. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I woke up, I came out of surgery, and I just, it felt like someone had pulled a piece of glass out of the electrical circuit of my body. I'd been in so such excruciating pain. I hadn't even realized the low hum of of complete and utter tension I had been in at all times for the last 18 months, 2 years almost. And I felt just completely liberated. I came back to the to football was kicking ass. Was back to my rookie year self. Totally dominant excited to be there, enthused, loving the game once more. But 11 weeks after that surgery, I wake up. We're in Pittsburgh going to play the Steelers. I'm having a tremendous year, and I can't get out of bed. My back is seized up so badly. I can't get out of bed. I'm thinking to myself, fuck, man. You know what? I'll be fine. I'll pop an Adderall. I'll pop some some Vicodin. I'll be ready to roll by game time. I'm literally shuffling down to the team meal, shuffling my way to the bus, shuffling into the stadium. And I say, I got to get into the training room and get warmed up and get on the table. I tell my guy, Justin, what's going on. He's like, okay, let me work on you. He's got the, the fucking one of those like massage guns and he's working it into my my low back my glutes my hamstrings he's just loosening me up he's got a heat pad on there i'm in there for 30 minutes by the time he's done i've got to go get ready to get dressed get taped all that stuff i can barely get off the table go and lie down in front of my locker try to stretch some more to loosen up a little more. I'm looking up, I open my eyes, and there's my head coach, offensive coordinator, O-line coach, looking down at me saying, Ed, you doing all right? You going to be able to go today? I go, yeah. And as I try to get up, I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up off the floor. And they say, okay, you're done for today. You're not going today. Say, Ed, maybe we worked you too hard coming out of back surgery. You just need some time off. We'll give you this week off. Look at next, look at getting back next week. Okay, cool. That next week, they put me on some sort of steroid pack. Not exactly sure what that was supposed to do. (laughs) I take the week off practice, letting everything just kind of settle down. I'm thinking to myself, man, maybe I have a cracked hip. Maybe I have a cracked vertebrae. I don't know what's going on, but something's wrong. I miss the following game. Come back the next week. It's Monday. Monday morning. Pull into the facility, park my car, get out to walk in. I have a back spasm so bad I'm brought to my knees in the parking lot. My teammates have to pick me up and like help me get into the training room. So I get into the training room, they're like, what's going on, man? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I my, my back is spasming up so bad I can barely stand. My legs are literally giving out. Oh man, okay. Uh we let's get let's get an MRI done. Take me and get an MRI. Nothing comes up. Looks fine. There's nothing there. Alright, maybe we need another week or let's just see what's going on days go on back just getting worse let's get another mri go and get another mri still nothing's really coming up but something's wrong they put me on another steroid pack it's just not getting better like i don't i don't know what's happening they don't know what's happening there's no answers finally we we schedule one more mri this is my third mri now in like three weeks it's early in the morning. My the, Our head athletic trainer drops me off to the hospital to get the MRI at about 6.30 in the morning. Says, Eb, I'll be back to pick you up after the MRI. I come out of the MRI and a nurse says, oh, you need to go and wait in the waiting room. I go, okay. Where's Mike? Uh, nurse Nancy is going to come and see you. I'm like who? Well, nurse Nancy was sort of like the team nurse. She would do a lot of the stuff. You know, this is a whole ecosystem of people and personnel that run these organizations. You've got team doctors specializing in every single area. You know, you've got the orthopedic surgeon, you've got the back surgeon, you've got the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You got the team nurse. You got the head athletic trainer. You got assistant athletic trainers. You got the strength coaches, all these people, the coaches. So they tell me, uh, Nancy will come and see you. I'm like, all right. I don't know why she's coming to see me, but great. I'm sitting there for 30 minutes, now coming on to an hour. Nancy comes in. She's got this really disturbed look on her face. saying, oh, bye bye. And she won't really tell me anything. she It seems like she has some information, but she's not telling me anything. Oh, you're just going to have to wait until Dr. So-and-so comes. So then this guy comes, who was one of, he was like the back surgeon of the team, who was a buffoon. He comes and he sits down, he's like, Ed, we're going to admit you to the hospital, today. you've got an infection in your disc. And we'll see if you ever play football again. These are his words to me in this moment. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of my face. They admit me to the hospital. I spend the weekend in the hospital. They need to do a biopsy on my disc. Finally, they do a biopsy. They're not finding anything still. There's no actual sign of an infection. There's no sign of anything. I've spent the weekend in the hospital. They send me home, Halloween night. I get home, back spasms so bad, I'm brought to my knees in my living room. I'm on the floor, face down, can't get up. My wife is in tears. (laughs) She's like, my mother is there. She's like, go get so-and-so from across the street. He needs to come and help. And I'm like, fuck that. I pull myself up up off the ground, get on the couch. Something clearly is wrong. It took another week to find out there's an infection in the disc. So there we are. I've got an infection. Go into the hospital. See the infectious disease guy. He tells me that, thank God it wasn't staph or MRSA, but this was a, a an infection. It was a very low, uh, it was a very a bacteria with a very low virulence. He likened it to the bacteria that causes acne. said, huh, that's interesting. How'd that happen? So, I get put on eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. I lose a ton of weight. I'm still thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back for this thing. I'm going to be back ready to rock next season. Eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. I'm staying at home. A nurse is coming to my house every day to inject me with these uh, antibiotics. Um, And I'm still thinking to myself, you know what, I'm going to make it, man. I'm going to be here. Now, I guess I wanted to say all of this. Basically, by the end of that season, the team got sold. The head coach got fired. New owner, new head coach. I come back for my last year. The energy is really off. Me and this guy, this head coach, are just not jiving. For whatever reason, he just doesn't seem to like me. Maybe he was thinking I was done. I'd had too many injuries. I worked my ass off to get back. My body just isn't what it was. I start the year off starting at left guard. First game of the season... We're playing the Minnesota Vikings. A guy gets thrown into my left ankle. I've got a low high ankle sprain. I rush it back. My, my agent gets a, I get a third party doctor to say, Eb, this is a, this is a low high ankle sprain. This would be in need of surgery if it was a little bit higher. But this is like a six to eight week recovery. Meanwhile, the team doctors are telling me this is a two to three week recovery. The head coach is calling me on off days when I'm going to see my rolfing uh, practitioner trying to figure out if I'm trying to game the system or what the fuck is going on. I, I couldn't really believe it. it. was, But you're starting to see here the deconstruction is starting to happen. So I rush back. They're saying, Eb, you'll be ready. We're going to get you back this week, Eb get out on the field and practice, tape this fucking ankle up as best. It's it's like a cast of tape on my ankle. I'm saying, guys, I can't push off it. I can't move to my right. I'm playing left guard. I can't move to my right. I can't push off my left ankle here. I, I'm not exactly sure why you keep telling me I'm going to be ready. And they say, just do it. You know, it's going to be okay. Saying, okay, I'll do whatever it takes for the team. I will kill myself for this team. Remember that. So that week, we're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going up against an all-pro defensive tackle named Geno Atkins, who the previous year I had completely dominated. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, taking one play at a time. We got this. We could do this. I get my fucking ass kicked. In the first half, by the end of the first half, we we come in the locker room, and I can hear my O line coach and our head coach in a screaming argument outside. O line coach comes in. He he's all huffed up and he's going, "Ebb, we're gonna we're gonna sit you down, Eb. And then the head coach Mike Malarkey, goes, "Yeah, Eb, you clearly weren't ready. Uh, we we need to get you back healthy, and you need another week." And I'm just like. I burst in. I mean, I've got tears streaming down my face. I'm choked up. It's all in front of the team. I don't know what to say, honestly. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I needed needed more time. Here they are. They're telling me I was done. Okay, good. So they're realizing it. I'm going to take it at that. At the end of the game, the head coach says to all the reporters in the media, he says to them, yeah, left guard spots up for grabs. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, bitch. So I come back, work my ass off for the game against the Bears, earn the starting job. I have a solid game. Still not playing my best, but I have a solid game. I've got a bum ankle. (laughs) I've totally been worn thin. Um, we go away for our bye week, come back, play the Raiders. At this point, the team is 1-6, 1-7. After the, we lose to the Raiders in Oakland, and they bench me. They bench me. And at this moment, no one can really tell me what's wrong. But I've gone from being the golden child, the team leader, team captain, to literally the black sheep, the exile, the guy that our head coach at least, one of the guys our head coach is literally blaming the lack of success of the team on. And I go through this process of complete disillusionment. This game that I've grown up loving that has been so profound of an influence of a vehicle in my life. It's starting to crumble. You know, these guys, my family, the coaches, my father figures, my gods. I'm starting to see the the business of football is beginning to erode this thing that I've called a game and called something that I love so much. There's a great line in North Dallas 40 by John Matuszak, who is a, a an all-pro football player, defensive tackle for the Raiders for a long time. And he said, every time you call it a game, I call it business or every time I call it a business, you call it a game. And every time I call it a game, you call it a business talking to the coaches. And he's in this incredible monologue, screaming at this little coach. And it it was a fascinating experience because all of a sudden I realized, man, I've been here willing to give it everything I have. Literally every ounce of myself, my blood, sweat, and tears, and here these guys are, and I'm breaking down. And they just don't see it that way. They look at me as a commodity, a replaceable part. And that was a moment of awakening for me. Because I saw through the veil of this illusion that was the NFL. I saw through the veil of all the smiles and the happy-go-lucky egocentric behavior that everyone's putting on about, you know, what a privilege it is to be there and, you know, how great we all are and what a blessing. And I'm seeing the business of this thing and how that overrides everything because at the end of the day people's jobs are on the line. And here I was, a broken part, not able to perform at the way at the level that they needed me to or expected me to, and the team here here's the team, I mean it's going to shit one game at a time, completely falling apart. And so the coach is looking for any excuse he could possibly find to point the finger at why it's not working the way he told everyone it was going to work. And I was part of that. So it was a fascinating experience in the energy of people. People can tell you all sorts of things. Their words can say all kinds of things. But their energy tells you the truth. I'm looking at my O-line coach who I played for for four years. God bless him, Andy Heck. I love him to death, even to this day. I'd love to talk to him. And I'm asking him, Andy, like, what's going on? He couldn't even look at me. He'd be so choked up. He couldn't tell me anything. No one could tell me anything. No one could talk to me about anything. It was an incredible experience. So I went on to. After that season, I was I really thought about being done with football. I was ready to be done. Had some conversations with people. Felt had a conversation with my wife, my dad, my mom, uh, and then one of my closest teammates, a guy who ended up playing 14 years as center for the Jags, a guy named Brad Meester. Everyone was super supportive. Either way, I wanted to roll with it. I mean, mostly it was, you know, my wife was like, hey, I mean, you know, whatever you want to do, I got your back. Brad said to me, Eb, every single year I come out of the season and I think to myself, I'm done. And then I just give it one more year. And I take it one day at a time and I see how it goes. And here I am, 10 years later. At that point, he was 10 years later. And he said, Eb, maybe you, you know, give it a shot with another team. Sign on with another team. Maybe you find your love for the game again maybe you don't but at least that case if you give it another shot you can find out for sure if you're done or not I said all right man so i got a, i got a couple workouts the seahawks flew me out to work out bears flew me out to work out i signed with the bears i had one really magical year. That first year in Chicago was really magical. I had a fantastic season. I was the sixth man, the swing tackle, played monster tight end as well, which meant I got to come in for 20 to 30 snaps a game and have fun, dominate. The Chicago Tribune or the Sun-Times, I'm not exactly, I can't remember which one, wrote an article about me about how every time I was in the game, the offense was 20 to 30 percent more productive. So I considered that a success. I came back one more year. It all fell apart again. I saw the business. I saw the ego of the coaches and the all the shit that comes in that environment. And so I came out of my football career and I had to start this healing process. And what I learned by the time I was done in football, that last year in Chicago, I was so fucking miserable. I was exhausted. I was in so much pain. And here I was having achieved this quote unquote dream I had had since I was eight years old. And I was fucking miserable. I was so unhappy. Maybe the most unhappy I've ever been in my life. Grinding it out. And yes, there were moments of complete and utter bliss. There were extreme highs and some really dark lows. But at the end of the day, there was still this hole in my soul. There was a hole in my heart. I was unfulfilled. I was discontent. And that's having achieved this dream. I had the cars. I had the house. I had the money. I had the access. I had all the stuff. But that wasn't it. That wasn't it. That wasn't doing the thing that I thought it was going to do. Coming out of my career, I realized my entire football career was, for me, playing football was about proving to the world how big and scary and to be feared I was. It wasn't about the fact that I really loved it. I loved aspects of it. I had a lot of rage and a lot of anger in my being when I was a kid. And football was this incredibly therapeutic pathway to take it out on the world and be celebrated for it the more violent I was the more dominant I was the more rage I exacted on other human beings on the football field I was celebrated and I climbed that ladder of success people told me how great I was people told me what a badass I was but outside of that you know I really I spent from the age of 13 to the age of 28 15 years of football, day in, day out, I spent a lot of time overriding my sensory experience. What do I mean? I experienced a lot of pain. I experienced a lot of physical trauma. I experienced a lot of emotional stress, a lot of psychological stress, a lot of psychological pain. And I spent day in, day out overriding that to get back out on the field, to play, to produce, to participate, to dominate, to compete. And when you do that day in, day out for so long, all of a sudden one day you wake up and you don't know where you begin and the rest of the world ends and who you are and what you like and what you actually want to do with yourself. And so here I was. Maybe a year out of football. And I had to figure it out. I, I realized that for 15 years, I had spent every single day of my life, I knew exactly what I was going to do from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. Every relationship I had, I related to people from this, this role of the superstar athlete. My friends, my family, the closest people in my life, the people I met on the street, everybody. Everybody every single person I met, every relationship I had, all communication was through the lens of being this person. But that wasn't me. That was an identity I had I'd created at the age of eight, which really started to materialize when I was 13. And then it only grew Because then as you start to have success and you start to climb the ladder, you start to just wear the glory. You start to wear the achievement. You start to wear the success over you. And so for me, I found myself a year out of football. No idea who I was. No idea what I was supposed to do. You know, through that whole experience, by the grace of God, in high school, I realized I had this this really wonderful upbringing of being an athlete and an artist. My family is filled with athletes and artists, so I had this really beautiful yin and yang, creativity and competition. And so sometime in high school, I realized I want to be a writer when I grow up. I love telling stories. I love the feeling of pen to paper. I love writing. I love doing that. So throughout my career, college, high school, college, NFL, I'd write. I had stacks of journals I'd write. I didn't exactly know what that meant. So I decide I'm going to retire. My wife looks at me. I'm, go- I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, what am I going to do now? My wife looks at me and she goes, time to write your book. Thank God. My football agent hands me off to a literary agent. We write a book proposal, pitch it to publishers. They really like it, but they've either filled their sports book quota. They've They want the red carpet story. They want the dirt and the grit and the grime. My story was really Charles Bukowski in the trenches. It was the nitty-gritty, offensive line, everyday story. The pain, the punishment, the heroism, and the mundane reality of life as a pro athlete. You know, I've got a family, I've got a daughter, I've got a wife. Like, like There's very real-life things that are still happening and have to get done bills to pay, groceries to get shopped, all of that stuff. So I end up writing this article for SI.com, sportsillustrated.com. They had a section, editorial section called The Cauldron, and I wrote this article. The book proposal really turned into this article about my experience as an offensive lineman dealing with injuries, dealing with all the pills and all the bullshit How I consumed cannabis to get myself through it all. And what that experience was like. Got a lot of reach. A lot of attention. I Old teammates calling me up. Coaches telling me how great it was. I had... I even had my old athletic head athletic trainer calling me up telling me what a what a lying asshole I was and how could I say all of that and I said hey dude I, I'm not trying to throw anybody under under the bus I'm calling out a system here I didn't name any names I'm not interested in that I'm not even mad at you He had a lot of insecurities about it And for good reason <sighs> So I wrote the article and that started me on the path in cannabis. It started me on the path of truth-telling, of truth-seeking. What is this thing happening inside of me? Here we are, waking up. What is this thing happening inside of me? I can't lie. I can't even be dishonest about it. How can I say... How can I not be honest about what's happening in me? This is all I have. All I have is the shit that's happening inside of me. That's all I have to offer. It's all I've ever had. And we all have that. We all have that thing inside of us. It's the guiding principle of, of us. Of you. Of me. Beneath the I, beneath the name, beneath the position, beneath the job, beneath the dreams, beneath the wants, beneath the desires, way down deep in there, at the core, it's you. Whatever that is, you. We say you because we don't have any other way to describe it. It's this thing, our soul, our spirit, our heart, our essence. It was always there. It's always been there. It was the thing that was crying out to be expressed, to be acknowledged all those years in football, dealing with all the pain. God damn it, listen to me, it's saying. And so I started on this very honest very painful, very uncomfortable path of waking up, of healing myself, of coming to terms with me. You know, all of us, no matter really where we come from, what background, what culture, what race, what religion, from the time from as far back as we can possibly remember we are bombarded by conditioning from our parents, from the society the education system entertainment the TV, now the social media, all the shit we're bombarded with someone telling us how to be what to be, how to think what to think, what to buy what we need to do what we shouldn't do, what it looks like to be successful. And it's all completely meaningless. If you're going to spend your life living the life you think someone else wants you to live, you are bound to end up discontented and unfulfilled and miserable. So then where do we begin? You know, I've come to realize that literally everything happening inside of you, that is all you. It's all you. And yes, we have to mire through the bog of all of the conditioning. But at the same time, whatever it is you're feeling, the doubt, the discontent, the anger, the sadness, the anxiety, the fear. Just be with that. Because the only way to get to the bottom of it is to be with the thing that comes up. For so much time in my life, I've spent so much time in my life not allowing myself to feel feelings. And this, is, this practice has even been amplified or or highlighted or <clears throat> clarified as my spiritual process has continued to unfold because here I am still feeling very human feelings but feeling as though there's this ego identity of having transcended some of having transcended a lot spiritually and done done a lot of healing work and then I find myself getting angry and I the ego the the spiritualized ego goes Eb why you're too spiritual to be angry you shouldn't feel angry why are you feeling angry? Eb you're too spiritual to be sad. Why are you getting attached to this? So then it's once again another shedding of the skin. Because Those feelings, in fact, are the spirit. That is the spirituality. This is all spirit. The physical and the spiritual, it's one thing. The physical realm, all of this shit that we see and think is real and all this stuff, this is how the spirit does its work. This is where the spirit comes to play. all of it all of it matters all of it is real all of it is to be acknowledged and respected and appreciated all of it the darkness and the light i'll even find myself if you're having a low energy day sometimes you wake up you just have low energy And then that gets translated into, oh, I'm not having a good day. I don't feel good today. Why? So what? You just have low energy. So what do you do with that? Oh, maybe it's a day to rest. Maybe it's a day to lie down. Maybe it's a day to stop trying to do so much bullshit and just fucking be. Enjoy the sun. Take a nap. Do some reading. Breathe. Meditate. The distractions in the West are many, vast. The social media, the emails, the work, the stuff, all of that, it, it's moving really fast. Consciousness is moving really fast. And going back to this conversation I had with this guy, Tom, Tom Cronin, you know, he talked about, we are in this this epic called the Kali Yuga which is really the the age of chaos or destruction it's where Shiva comes in and obliterates the whole thing it's where the darkness is really seems to be winning at this stage And it looks like that. It looks very dark and it looks very scary right now. But I'll tell you this. This is another sort of trendy term that, that turns me off a little bit. But it's a great way to describe this and maybe it's the only way. But we are in the midst of a massive awakening. Look around you, even in yourself. There's probably something happening. If you're listening to this podcast, there's probably something happening inside of you that feels transformative, that feels uncomfortable. That's There's something happening inside of you that's going, you know what, the way we've been doing things, it's not working anymore and we need to make a shift. We need to change. And that's your spirit, that's your heart speaking. And I encourage you to follow it. There's a million diets. There's a million workout plans. There's a million programs. All sorts of things out there for you to latch on to, get involved in, work through, do all that stuff. And a lot of it's good. A lot of it's really good. You know, there's a lot of great information out there. I'll tell you one thing. There's not much good information coming through mainstream media. There's not much good information coming through the news. I mean, that goes without saying. But literally, like, not much good information at all. Most of it is nonsense. It benefits a very small percentage of people at the top of the food chain called humanity to keep everyone in fear to keep us all really divided and identified in the material shit and that's not serving us anymore that's not serving you it it wasn't serving me i couldn't do it i literally i found myself looking up at this thousand foot wall going there's nowhere else for me to go None of the escape valves are working anymore. The alcohol, the weed, the drug, nothing. The sex, uh, jacking off, none of it. The video games, the scrolling, none of it is working anymore. It's It's not taking me out of the utter reality that is my truth, that is literally clawing its way out of my being. And I had to begin to face it. I had to begin to confront it. And the tools by which I have learned to cultivate this relationship, this really deep, rich relationship with myself, meditation, plant medicine, exercise, yoga, really getting clean on my nutrition, You have to cleanse and purify the physical body before you can really access the true mental body and the spiritual body. There's a lot of gunk, there's a lot of shit to clear out, especially if you live in America. How did we get so identified in the mind? How did we get so identified in the intellect? It's so limited. The perception of the mind is so limited. It's limited to the very tiny experience that you've had looking out of these eyes. Living in this body. But when we drop down into the heart. When we can drop down into the heart. And live from the heart. We have access to the infinite intelligence that is the universe. That is God. That is the source of all things. The thing that we came out of. We connect to that through the heart. And once again, as this guy Tom, I'm referencing him because he was a fantastic conversation. I had talked to him about this. And he said, even going further than that, connecting down into your root chakra Which roots you into Gaia, roots you into Mother Earth, roots you into the Source, roots you into your truth and your purpose. Because we all came into this world with a divine purpose. Through the mechanisms of judgment, denial, doubt, we've been completely disillusioned with our humanness. With the majesty of our purpose. Of our uniqueness. We all have one. You're not here by fucking mistake, dude. The universe brought you here for a reason. Did you choose to be here? I don't remember making that choice. I might have when I was in the ether. Going from my last lifetime into this lifetime. I, could, I, I suppose the choice could have been made... But what was that choice connected to? If my spirit is in the the ethereal soup of the universe and then it dropped into my mother's womb. Or did my spirit infuse my parents with the idea to conceive me? Either way, it lends itself to something much greater than this all just being a fluke. Ah, it's just, eh. There are billions of processes happening inside of your body right in this moment that are just keeping you alive, keeping you awake. Feel that for a moment. What a miracle life is. A fucking miracle. To be birthed out of your mother. The sperm that came from your father and your mother's egg. What a miracle to coagulate into the physical manifestation that is you. What a fucking miracle. Have you stopped to appreciate that today? Think about that. My God. You know, I can tell you stop taking it for granted. Let it all go. appreciate your uniqueness your beauty your majesty as a living being and that's all good it's all good but the truth of the matter is like you just being here you are the you are it you are the thing you are the the universe embodied everything happening inside of you is it nothing else There's literally nothing else. It's all this. It's all you. Ask yourself this. Am I living from my heart? What is my purpose? Who am I? Use the tools. Breathe. Breathing is beyond everything. Just breathe. <sighs> Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. Perhaps everything else from there will take care of itself. So before I let you guys go, let's take three deep breaths. And we're going to breathe in through the nose, deep into the solar plexus. I want you to imagine that air is coming in and expanding your body at the solar plexus. And you're using your diaphragm to pull that air into your torso. And then I just want you to let it all go. Just let it all go out your mouth. Here we go. First one in the nose. And just let it all go. Here we go. Number two. let it all go, maybe you sigh it all out let your tongue fall out of your mouth Uh, number three It's miraculous. It's miraculous. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. If you love this, if you like this, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, rate it, review it, share it with your friends and family. If something resonates with you and you think it would help someone you know, please share it with them. That's the point. You can also support me in this podcast by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Britain. You'll get a bonus episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast every week. You'll get guided meditations, med- uh, mindset, movement, nutrition, all kinds of good stuff. Here are my thoughts. Um, and I'm really looking to build a tribe of badasses who are interested in changing the world. So if you're down with that and you got five bucks to spend a month, head over to patreon.com forward slash EDS Britain and I'll see you all there. Great way to connect. I love connecting with you guys. So thank you so much. Have an excellent weekend, everybody. Much love to you and your loved ones. I'll see you all on the flip side. Peace.